I love Peanuts cartoons. I hope you do as well. One of the things I like about Peanuts cartoons is the, the relationship that Charlie and Lucy seem to have from time to time. And there was one cartoon Chuck Swindoll talks about where Lucy has her back turned to Charles Brown and, and she's got her hands like this and there's a look of disgust on her face. And Charlie, bless his heart, is pleading with her to, to show a little bit more love. Lucy, the world needs a little bit more love. And then she turns around like she does and he does this backflip and she looks at him and she screams out, the world I love, it's the people I can't stand. Now, we laugh at that because it is a cartoon. It's, it's kind of humorous, but at the same time, there's some truth to that. There's some truth if we're honest with ourselves. There are moments in our lives, can we say that people sometimes get on our nerves? Probably not in church, but, you know, <laughs> elsewhere, right? I mean, think about it. We'll, we'll sometimes think, you know, you know, the job I love, it's the employees I can't stand. Or as we near Thanksgiving and Christmas, we love our home. It's some family members we can't stand. Or we love our church, but it's sometimes some church members we can't stand. Chuck Swindoll says it this way, There are no problems like quite people problems. We can have financial difficulties, physical pain, a tight schedule, miles of driving, but these things aren't the cause of our major battles. It's the people, as Lucy said. So, child, God, let me ask you a question. How do you deal with difficult people? How do you deal with challenging people in your life? How do you deal with when there are people in your lives that sometimes get on your nerves? Well, in this passage here, we're going to get some answers from the Most High God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's going to teach us how we can rely on Him and deal with the challenging people. And he breaks it down as follows. We have to watch what we say. We know that the words speak the truth in love. We have to turn the other cheek. That is, he's going to teach us how to handle insults. And then maybe, maybe one of the most challenging for some of us is love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. So let's look at verse 33 and following. You've heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for at the throne of God, or by the earth, for it's the footstool, his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one white hair or black. Let, me, let, let your statement be yes, yes, and no, no. Anything beyond this is evil. Now, what's a vow? Well, a vow in those days was when the ancients would make an appeal to God in public to get him to witness something either past, present, or future. Our Lord puts a little bit more weight on what he's saying here when he says, no, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Anything beyond this is evil. Now, that's not to say that what we say is not held accountable to God because it is. Hear me well. Everything that you and I say, every word that we utter really isn't the presence of God. Now let that sink in for just a moment. Every word that we say to anybody is said ultimately, theologically, in the presence of God. Now, if that really sunk in with us, how would that change our conversations? How would that impact maybe what we say via social media? See, the application for us here is that you and I need to make sure that we don't make any promises we can't keep. We don't make any statements that we know to be false, in other words. And let it be not said of us, beloved, in our day and time, like it was said of, of Jerusalem in the time of Jeremiah. God said this to Jeremiah, Roam to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, 
And look now and take note. Seek in her open squares. If you can find a man, if there's one who does justice, who seeks the truth, then I will pardon Jerusalem. Although they say, as the Lord lives, surely they swear falsely. Can you imagine living in a community where we could not find one person who told the truth? It's critical that you and I, representing the Most High God through Jesus Christ, are truthful. Because when you and I are not truthful, when we make promises we have no intentions of keeping and we don't follow up on some of these commitments, then what we're doing is we're weakening not our reputation, but we're wreaking the reputation of the Lord Jesus Christ because we represent Him. And we can't do that. So when you and I are dealing with people in general, hear what Christ is teaching here. Be truthful. And yes, we need to speak the truth in love. We should never be deceitful. We should never be manipulative because we represent our Lord Jesus Christ. And yes, some people are going to occasionally rob us the wrong way. Well, maybe more than occasion, but you know what I'm saying here. But the oil of our truthfulness will help take care of any squeaks in that rusty relationship. You and I represent God through Jesus Christ. We are to speak the truth and love. So we need to watch what we say and how we say it. And another reason we need to be truthful in our dealings with other people is eventually the real us is going to show. You can't hide it forever. The real us is going to show. I love the story Our Daily Bread was talking about where there was this young lady and she just loved this guy very much so. She just was passionate about him. And she found out that he liked to fish. Now, she'd never been fishing in her life. But to be with her man, she told him, oh, I love to fish. And he was delighted that he found somebody who shared in her passion to fish. So they're out there. and It's a nice sunny day. Water's lapping up on the side of the boat. They're at his favorite fishing spot. But they're not biting. But that's okay with her because Lucy is with her man willing. So they're sitting there, lines in the water. About an hour passes by, and she looks over at him, and she goes, Willie? She goes, he says, yeah. He said, you know that red and white thing on the end of my line? And he, he said, you mean the float? She goes, yeah. How much does that cost? 80 cents. Well, I think I owe you 80 cents because mine just went under the water. <laughs> now, see, the truth came out. Because she didn't realize that she had caught a fish. Child of God, we have to speak the truth in love because why? Eventually, the real us is going to come out. Whatever's on our heart is going to come out. Christ says, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Anything beyond this is evil. But again, what he's also teaching us here is that we need to do that, especially we're dealing with challenging people. Now, closely related to that, he now says, I'm going to teach you how to handle insults. He says in this passage here in verse 38 and following, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, resist an evil person. Whoever slaps you on the right, turn the other to him also. And he's talking not so much about physical pain here. He's talking about insults. How do you and I handle insults? Because what he's teaching against, because the religious leaders in those days, they wanted to take it and make it more of a personal revenge. Even though the Old Testament said the following, you should not take vengeance or bear any grudge against the sons of your own people. And they would have known that, but they were stretching it. And so he's correcting their false teaching. And he's also teaching us 
today how you and I are to deal with insults. How do we deal when we get insulted, when we're offended, in other words? You probably don't hear that term much in our culture today, but if you did, we're going to look at this passage here. For example, how do we deal when people in the church insult us? Do we get mad? Do we get even? Or do we turn the other cheek and forgive? Or what about when we're in this traffic situation out here? We call it road rage, if you please. And we get insulted. Do we get mad? Do we get even? Or do we turn the other cheek and just forgive? Or what about on social media? When somebody laces out at us, do we, do we get mad? Do we get even? Or do we simply turn the other cheek and forgive? See, you and I need to look at this passage and pray about it. How do we handle these things? For example, a lot of us saw that, that video where Will Smith gets up on the stage and he slaps Chris Rock. And then he goes back to his seat and he says some insulting things to Chris there in front of everybody. Some of us sitting there watching go, well, we have to also ask ourselves, well, had I been Chris Rock, what would I have done? What would have been my response? Indeed, if you get insulted in light of what Christ is teaching here, what is going to be your response? How do we respond? How do we, how do we act? A few years ago, there was a pastor, and he delivered this sermon, and somebody, he had a Twitter account, and somebody called him out on Twitter, and basically began to tell him everything that was wrong with his sermon. Well, the pastor should have let it go, but he didn't do it. He, uh, he basically then he retaliated. He, he, he shot back with a few critical remarks of his own, and then he also threw in this Bible verse. We, we always like to do that. Here's what the Word of God says about that. And then the critic began to then pile on criticism after criticism, taking things out of his context, putting words in his mouth, and again the pastor retaliated. Well, one of his dear friends, a mentor, saw this going on on the Twitter feed, and he sent him a text, and he said, My brother, you forgot you're not supposed to wrestle with the pigs. Now, he's not calling the critic a pig, per se, but when he's saying that, it was a phrase that they knew too well. And basically what his mentor was trying to tell him is, when people try to pick a fight or seem bent on antagonizing, it's usually best not to engage. Because when we wrestle with pigs... We risk becoming pig-headed ourselves, and everyone ends up getting mud on their faces, and only pigs enjoy that experience. Turn the other cheek. What is he meaning here? I mean, what, how do we handle insults? How do you handle when people insult you? Do you try to get back at that individual? There was a guy by the name of Walter. Our Daily Bear tells a story about a guy by the name of Walter. He was in Denver, and he was giving a speech. And about midway through his speech, there was a guy that sat up in the back and he stood up and he shouted out, You're stupid! And he sat back down. Well, Walter continued. Five minutes later, the guy stood up again. You're stupid! Now, Walter then caught a slur in the man's speech. He thought, I'll be ready for him the next time. So sure enough, the man shouted out from the back, You're stupid! Walter was quick. He said, yeah, and you're drunk. And the man came back. He said, yeah, but tomorrow I'll be sober and you'll still be stupid. It doesn't say, you might have to explain that one later. But anyway, it's tempting. It is so tempting to return insult for insult. That's a strong human temptation. But we're not of this world. We're passing through. 
Our citizenship is in heaven as Christians. So how do we handle when insulted? Well, we trust and listen to the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Because returning insult for insult, slinging mud at people, we usually end up with mud on our hands, translation our character, and it's not our character. Remember, it's no longer we who live, but Christ lives in us. We represent Him. So whenever we're insulted, yes, the temptation is there, but understand something. You can destroy your witness and your reputation in a moment's notice by the way you respond to something. So listen to the Holy Spirit whenever the temptation comes. Now, closely related to this, I mean, we said so far, watch what you say. In other words, speak the truth in love when dealing with, especially with challenging people. And yes, there are going to be times when we're insulted. And by the way, when he's talking about this, the, the blow of the hand on the, on the side of the cheek, which is still concerned in insult in the Middle East, this is what he's talking about. He's teaching us how to handle insults here. Turn the other cheek, okay? Now, this passage also deals with one of the most challenging teachings that we may come across as a Christian. And that is, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So let's look at this from verse 43 and following. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you're to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now note what he says, and I'll preach in just a second, but note what he says here about love. If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? You and I are called to be set apart as Christians, distinct. And what makes us distinct is how we treat those who are enemies, those who persecute us. Now, he's saying this on the Sermon on the Mount in the presence of his disciples and the others. And his disciples, they would have known who the enemy was. They, they would have known, for example, the enemy was those religious leaders and Pharisees and others who hated them because they followed Christ. And Christ was very popular. There would be those who maybe family members who hated them, who were enemies of them because they left everything to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And also bear in mind, there were the Roman soldiers, the, the enemy that lived in habitation of your home area. And you know that they didn't like you either. And so to this, Jesus says, in the presence of all, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now let's bring it closer to home. When we hear the phrase, love our enemies, who's a person or persons that God places on our hearts right now. Who is it? Who is it? As we hear this phrase, we're thinking, there is no way God expects me to love that person or these, this, this family. Okay, hold that thought. We'll get to it in just a second. Because our enemy might be somebody who hates us, maybe somebody who's jealous of us, maybe somebody who's slandered our reputation, especially in social media. Our enemy could be anybody who all the time is, is putting us down. And yet to Jesus Christ says to us, his followers, love your enemies. 
Love your enemy. Now, what would that look like if we really applied that? Because that's what we're supposed to do. Hint, hint, hint. Is we come in here, we worship, we learn what the Bible says, and we go out and apply it. That's being a disciple. I recently saw a model um, who was criticized on social media simply because of the way that she was putting her lipstick on. Some TikTok video, and I mean, they were attacking her. And they they used a phrase called, well, she's just being culture appropriate. In our day and time, is is it possible for us to agree to disagree and still be friends? I mean, think about the culture in which we live. How often do we hear people who, who, who can disagree and still be friends and still get along? I mean, have we not seen from time to time on social media, if you don't like my candidate, if you're not going to vote for my candidate, or if you're not the same we thought process on social values, then just unfriend me or unfollow me. Love our enemies. How would this change our personal lives if we apply this teaching? I mean, can you and I express a, a love that Christ is talking about here? We can when we dwell on this. See, the motivation for applying this teaching and living this way is when we picture in our mind our Lord Jesus Christ hanging on the cross for our sins, not his. And he has the crown of thorns and there's blood and sweat and it's running down his face into his eyes. And he's hanging there on, on the cross with nails and his body has been beaten and battered. Again, Why? Because of our sins. And he looks down at those who are gambling for his robe and he says, Father, forgive them. Child of God, can we apply this passage into our lives? Jesus then says, pray for those who persecute you. Now, as he was being persecuted by the Roman soldiers, he behaved in such a way, Matthew says it this way, Now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, truly this was the Son of God. Beloved, when we do as God wants us to do, when we live and act and respond as God wants us to do, we're being a witness for him. The centurion took note, truly this was the Son of God. When people see us respond, in loving our enemies and praying for those that persecute us, truly that person must be a child of God. Truly that person must follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And we're not just to give lip service to it. Now we're to carry it out. The Apostle Paul said it this way to the church at Rome. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Now, Jesus says, pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Please look carefully at this passage. Pray for those. When you and I pray for our enemy, what we're basically doing is we're coming alongside our enemy spiritually and we're bringing that person into the throne room of God and we're saying, Heavenly Father, I'm praying for this person who's my enemy. I'm praying for this person who persecutes me. Now, one of the glaring things that you don't see in this passage is Jesus doesn't say, oh, by the way, when you love your enemies, they're going to love you back. Or when you pray for those who persecute you, they're going to pray for you. He doesn't say that. Because truthfully, and some of us know this by experience, 
They may not return our love. They may not return our kindness. But what are we called to do? We are called, child of God, to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. This is the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, if we say, I'm a Christian, then we're under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. And he says to us in this passage about love. When you love those, for example, I, I love my wife and daughter here this morning. But what reward is that for me, Jesus says. No, I'm supposed to love my enemy. We're supposed to love our enemy. Why is that? Because we represent him and it's for him, not us. We're to show the world around us that we're different. Why are we different? Because we've been born again. There was a time in our lives when we invited Christ Jesus to our hearts and lives and we're a new creation. Now, he doesn't need to teach us to love those who love us. Although, except maybe Thanksgiving or Christmas time, we might need to ask him to help us on that. Will they ever leave? I don't know. But we're called here to love our enemies. A true story. Some of you may have heard of this dear, dear saint of God, Corey Tim Boone. In 1972, there was an article that came about how she recalled how she came face to face with one of the camp guards at the concentration camp where her sister Betsy had died. And here's her story. And imagine being Corey Tim Boone. She writes, It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat, brown fat hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement where I'd just spoken moving along the wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with a message, God forgives. It was the truth that they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land. And Corey says, Often groups of Germans left her talks in silence. Their silent faces just stared back, not quite daring to believe. They were never questions after talks in Germany in 1947. The German people stood up in silence. They grabbed their wraps in silence, and they walked out in silence. And then she said this, and that's when I saw him. He was making his way toward me. Everybody was fouling back. She says, one moment I saw him in that gray overcoat with that brown clutched hat. The next moment my mind went back to him wearing his blue uniform with a cap, with a skull, and crossbone visor. She writes, it came back to me in a huge rush. That room with those harsh lights and the clothes all piled up along with the shoes. And my sister Bessie and I had to walk past in shame, in nakedness, in front of this guard and others. She recalls, Bessie, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at the concentration camp where we sent. I remember him, she writes, the leather crop swinging by his belt. It was the first time I'd, since my release that I'd been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. He comes up in front of her and he says, you mentioned Robinsbrook. I was a guard there. 
But since that time, I've become a Christian, and I know that God has forgiven me of the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, and he stuck his hand out, will you forgive me? Corey says, I stood there. I whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by the asking? It could have been seconds, she says, that I stood there, his hand held out to me, but to me it seemed like hours, and I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd have ever had to do. I knew I had to do it. Because Jesus says, if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. I stood there, coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that. It's an act of will. The will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. So in her pain, Corey said a quick prayer, Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. But you supply the feeling. And then she recalled this. So woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand out into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. A current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, and sprang into our joint hands. And then there was this healing of warmth. And bringing tears to my eyes, I looked at this man. I forgive you with all my heart. In one moment, we grasped each other's hand, the former guard, the former prisoner. And then she said this, I've never known God's love so intensely as I did then. The Bible teaches us that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible teaches us that God demonstrated his love to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if we as former enemies of the cross can say with all sincerity, yes, I have experienced the love, the grace, the forgiveness of Almighty God. Can we not, should we not, as the most high representatives of our Lord Jesus Christ, living epistles, if you please, of, of loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us, can we not, should we not then extend this kind of love and forgiveness to those that God has placed in our hearts and our minds. Now, to be sure, there will be a spiritual struggle that goes on with this. And some of us will hear and will go, this is impossible. I can't do this. Isn't it amazing how sometimes we pick and choose what passages that we're going to follow and obey? Isn't it amazing how sometimes we will pick out certain passages or scriptures and quote them? For example, before we say, I can't do this, let's recall to our minds what the Apostle Paul said to the Philippians. And it's a verse that many of us know, many of us have quoted from time to time. You know it. Paul said to the church at Philippi, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, beloved child of God, on our own we can't, but we can with Him. See, He's the vine where the branches. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. 
Jesus says when dealing with challenging people, watch what we say. Speak the truth in love. Yes, there are those moments when we'll have to turn the other cheek when insulted. And yes, it'll make a huge difference when we truly love our enemies and we pray for those who persecute us. And we can only do that when we rely on him. Now, I'm going to ask you, beloved, this morning, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to come to that resolve and say, I've read Matthew chapter 5, and now I'm under conviction to do exactly what God wants me to do. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to step out on faith this morning and say, I want to leave here with a resolve that I'm going to apply this passage in my life. But Lord, I can't do it on my own. Why don't you bow your head and your heart with me for just a moment as we talk with God. Nobody's looking around. And this may be, this passage, these teachings, they may be difficult. They may be challenging for some of us. And they may not be challenging to others. So would you take a moment and pray for those around you right now? Pray for the, the one around you who may be going through a spiritual battle right now with us. And it might be this morning you realize you're an enemy of the cross. That is, you've never received Christ Jesus, your Lord and Savior. Here's what I want you to prayerfully consider doing right where you're sitting right now. I want you to pray the following with me. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And by faith, I ask you to come in my heart and be my Lord and Savior. And I'm going to repent. I'm going to change my ways. I'm going to start living for you. In your name I pray. Now if you pray that, I want to pray this prayer for you and for everybody. Father, we thank you for this decision time. For that person who prayed to receive you as your Lord and Savior, we pray, Father, that that new Christian will be mentored and nurtured in whatever way we can do to help that person. And we also pray, Father, for those Christians who are struggling with applying this passage in their life. Whatever we can do to help that brother or sister in Christ, Lord, we pray that you'll use us. And Father, we pray that your strength would flow through us as we seek to apply this passage in our daily lives. Because it's not about us. It's about you. And we want to honor you. You went all the way on the cross for our sins. We want to live all the way, all in for you this moment. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.